Hello, and welcome to the course. I'm your host today, Julie, and I'm speaking with Robert Vargas from the Department of Sociology at the University of Chicago. Vargas is an associate professor of sociology and the deputy dean of the social sciences. As a researcher, he is interested in cities, law, and race. His writing and teaching focuses on identifying the political economic forces shaping neighborhood conditions and city responses to social problems. His multi-award winning book, Wounded City, Violent Turf Wars in a Chicago Barrio, brought a political analysis to the study of urban violence by showing how ward redistricting shaped block-level violence in the Little Village neighborhood of Chicago. He is here today to talk about his career path and how he became a University of Chicago professor. Welcome to the course, Professor Vargas. Great to be here. Thank you. Can you start us off with a general overview of your career path from your college years to becoming a professor at the University of Chicago? Sure. So one of the key parts of the story is how I come from a Mexican immigrant family, and I was the first in my family to go to college. And so when I entered college, I didn't realized that the doctors teaching me were PhDs. I <laughs> mistakenly thought they were MDs and didn't realize that doctors could have PhDs. And so um, I took a course called The Power of Politics and Race in Chicago. And as someone who grew up in Chicago, the course just blew my mind and op- uh, opened me up to the history of racial politics and the history of all these forces that that at the time helped me explain a lot about the circumstances of my own upbringing, of my extended family, of my friends, helped me make sense of why so many areas of Chicago were so different. And I really owe a lot of my career to a particular professor, William Sampson, who during classes that I took with him, just pulled me to the side and was like, hey, you have a, you have a lot of talent. You're really smart. You should consider pursuing a doctorate. And um, I still didn't really know what that was, but he referred me to this program that's still in operation called the McNair Scholars Program uh, at DePaul University, where, where I went to college. It's a federal program that's devoted to diversifying PhD students in the academy. And through that program, I was able to be placed at a research assistantship at UC Berkeley Sociology. And Berkeley Sociology is the number one ranked sociology department of the country, where I uh, RA'd for a sociology professor, Irene Bloomrad, and spent the summer working for, for her on a project on the 2006 immigration marches. And when I put two and two together that you could make a living doing research on the social world and topics of incredible social importance, I just it just clicked on me that, yeah, this is something that I would love to pursue for a career. And that kind of just set me off on this trajectory of applying to graduate school and, and ultimately enrolling in, in a sociology program at Northwestern. Can you give me a brief overview of what it is that you study now and what you specialize in? Sure. I think the best way to describe what I do is that I study the problems of cities, but in the perspective of trying to understand why is it that communities that need programs, that need solutions, why do they not receive them? Because there's a lot of great ideas. There's a lot of great research on showing things that work, but uh, cities have a way, uh, either through institutional or social forces, of preventing communities Oftentimes, low-income Black and Latino neighbor, 
communities from uh, accessing and getting these resources. And so I've studied this topic in a number of ways. So I've, I've studied this looking at violence prevention resources in Chicago. So my first book, Wounded City, is uh, is looking at a particular neighborhood and why some parts of the neighborhood didn't seem to be getting the violence prevention resources that it needed, even though it was the highest highest crime area within the neighborhood. And the explanation for that had a lot to do with the way that the neighborhood was gerrymandered. And so the areas of the neighborhood that were split up across multiple districts had a much harder time for both the political and just straight logistical reasons. They had a hard time accessing uh, resources. And I've also written about this in the context of healthcare, uh, writing a book on the experiences of the uninsured in Chicago, trying to understand why is it that people who were eligible for Medicaid through the Affordable Care Act, uh, why so many of them still refuse to participate. And a lot of that has to do with their quite horrific past experiences with the healthcare system and the inability of the current system to try to build trust and overcome that past trauma to get people access to care. And the latest iteration of work that I'm doing in this field is, is studying the relationship between politics and the science of policing. Again, so trying to understand why is it that ideas for public safety don't ever end up actually being implemented, or I should say, why innovations in public safety don't end up getting Im implemented. And a lot of it has to do with the often hidden but traceable biased sources of funding that are influencing the outcomes of a lot of the research in ways that are actually blocking and inhibiting uh, innovation in this space. Um, and so they're three very different projects, but they all are kind of tied to the, a similar kind of process of trying to figure out why uh, we don't implement things that we know should probably be effective. Thinking about the work that you do now and kind of going back to yourself as a younger person, even pre-college, I'm thinking in the middle school, high school years, what were you interested in as a young person? And do you see reflections of that in your future career path? Well, I wasn't the best student in middle school and high school. I was all about sports. Like I devoted the vast majority of my time and energy towards getting better at baseball, which is one of the sports I played. I also played basketball and football, but baseball was the sport that I thought I was going to have a career in. But due to seeing some injuries in, in high school, I had to, to turn to thinking about seriously about college, uh, really up until the last minute. There are some things, though, from the context of being so deeply involved in sports in middle school and high school that I think did translate into my current career and, and still do, is one, just the incredible importance of hard work or just work ethic. Because my, my philosophy while playing sports was that there might be other folks who are more talented than me, but what I can control is how hard I work. And folks might be more talented than me, might be smarter, but I would bet that I'd be willing to work harder than them. So that, that's one key aspect that I think has, has really translated to what I do now. And then the other would be teamwork. Um, you know, one of my favorite parts of playing sports was just the, the whole culture of being on a team and working on something together with other people and recognizing that, that everyone can't do the same thing. 
that you really need a diverse set of skills. You need people who can fulfill key positions within an organization or team, and that you need sometimes people who are really talented or really leaders to step back and let others play their key role. And both of those things, I would say, translate very well to the kinds of things that you do as an academic, especially at this point in my career post-tenure. One of the things that we talk a lot about in this series is the role of important mentors in shaping folks' professional careers. I know you mentioned the one professor who kind of pulled you aside and encouraged you to pursue graduate school. Can you talk a little bit more about how important that was or if there are other mentors who you've had who've really influenced you, the role that they've had in shaping your career? Sure, I could say a little bit about two mentors. So my my mentor in undergrad, I think there's so many ways he was impactful, but I think the most is helping to instill in me a sense of self-confidence that the academic world and just the, the world of ideas and intellectual debate is something that I would be good at, that I could hold my own in. I remember, you know, small things such as like offering, you know, some small words of praise during class or during an office hour session goes a long way towards building the sense of self-confidence to make me feel like at the very least I could hold my own at a elite academic institution. Another real key mentor for me in graduate school was my dissertation advisor, Jeremy Fries, who I credit with instilling in me a really deep sense of ambition when it comes to research projects, because he was somebody who, whenever thinking through designing a project, would always just advise me to think about, okay, if you had unlimited time and resources, how would you design this project? And work from that, you know, it's often an unattainable project that you ultimately devise, but it's better to carve out an impactful research project from a place of great ambition than it is from a place of underwhelming ambition. And so I think about my research the very same way to this day. I advise my PhD students to make the same kind of approach um, because at the end of the day, academia and the world of publishing is incredibly challenging and hard. And so if the chances of failure are high, you may as well fail while swinging hard and for the fences. And that's a, that's an approach that I think is especially crucial in cases where you have students attending elite institutions like the University of Chicago, because the, the, the opportunities and the resources here for doing research are just unparalleled. And it's a, it's a great privilege. And with those great privileges come great responsibilities. I feel like that's a, that's a great piece of advice he's given me that is, that have, has helped me make the most out of all the institutions I've been. It sounds like once you were in the graduate program, that research was something that was always really interesting to you and intrigued you. Was there ever a time where you thought you might pursue a career that was different than being a professor and focusing on research? Or was that always something once you were kind of on that track that you wanted to do? Can you talk to me a little bit about the decision to pursue a career as a professor and as an academic? I think that uh, when I started doing research in undergrad, I loved it so much that I really didn't think about any other paths after that point. But I could say before undergrad, there was a time where I thought I wanted to become a lawyer. I'm not entirely sure why, other than just that it was a profession, a profession that would probably pay well. And you could see the relevance and the impact and the importance of 
of the law profession. And I remember now too, I was considering a master's in public policy because I always had an interest in politics and doing things that would shape legislation and improve the way people think about law or, or public policies. And thinking back, actually, my, my mentor in undergrad, when I spoke about these different opportunities, this is where his, his influence really came in because, you know, he said, if you do policy, then you're going to become someone who's a tinkerer, like someone who tinkers with things. Like you're going to be sitting, producing graphs, running data, doing these sorts of things. He's like, you're not a tinkerer, Robert, you're a thinker. I'm like, okay. And that I, I, I can see, I can see the distinction there. And, and so that, to me, really helped me get a sense that uh, the PhD career was right for me. And just one last thing related to all of this that I remember, that part of why my advisor's advice on becoming a thinker really resonated with me was that, you know, when I was in college, I lived at home in my, with my parents because I couldn't afford to live in the dorm living or to rent my own apartment. And so... I would ride two buses and a train to get from where we lived in Chicago to DePaul's campus in Lincoln Park. And I just remember as I'm waiting for the bus, waiting for the train, just like constantly thinking about the discussion that we had just had about poverty and the war on poverty in one of our classes or pulling out a book. And even to this day, I can like read and write in the most loud, chaotic circumstances because I've, I just became accustomed to working on trains and crowded buses. And just being able to recognize that I was a thinker and that I, I'm often deeply reflected on things and, and hearing that advice from my undergrad mentor really helped to make things click and make me feel like I was making the right decision. Yeah, I really like that, that distinction. That makes a lot of sense to me. I want to talk about some moments of resistance that you met throughout your career, either in becoming a professor or that that might still be challenging for you. But what are some of the the more challenging moments of your career and how did you push through them or work around them or or how are they still impacting you? Hmm. The story that comes to mind is so I had entered graduate school wanting to do research that would have a positive impact on the communities that I'm studying that I was part of growing up in Chicago. And there was a time towards the beginning of my dissertation when I encountered some pretty stiff resistance from members of the community who, by virtue of my affiliation with an elite institution like Northwestern, just wrote me off as a opportunist as someone who would be a leech on the community and just come do the research and then they would leave and give back to the community and these sorts of things. And I remember at the time it affected me deeply, in part because I was naive. And in hindsight, I think these community folks are, are very rightful to be skeptical of researchers from elite institutions for reasons I won't go into. But at the time, it was extremely deflating, and I, I had seriously thought about dropping out of my graduate program. And um, at the time, I remember I went to a faculty member at the time in the department, who's still there, Hector Carrillo, who did similar kind of really engaged research, but on the, the problem of HIV transmission in Mexico and California. And he, too, had similarly worked with community organizations and gave me some really great advice and just reflected on some of his own challenges that you know, he kind of reassured me that these this kind of pushback and resistance is uh, is common, and that you should expect it, and that you shouldn't let it make you give up so so easily or so quickly. And that conversation, like, really 
kept me in graduate school and like got me back on my feet. And then and just more broadly, like when it comes to resistance and pushing through, generally I've found it incredibly helpful and inspiring to read history, uh, mainly the history of figures like Cesar Chavez or W.E.B. Du Bois, who engaged in efforts to try and achieve things similar to what I'm trying to achieve and encountered great resistance and still managed to uh, have a, a an incredible impact, an incredible positive impact on the world. And so, you know, between going to mentors for advice with getting through hard times and then also just looking at the past and identifying and relating with figures who have been in your position before, it's a really great way of putting the resistance that you're facing into context and giving you some time to reflect and heal, but then also some strategic ways to think about how to get up your feet and to get back at it. I want to move over to talking about the aspect of teaching that comes with the role of being a professor. Can you tell me about teaching as an academic? Is it something that came naturally to you? I know you kind of started off as, as a researcher, but, but tell me about that experience of, of working with students and how that informs the other areas of your work. Sure. So um, at the University of Chicago, teaching is a, is a tremendous pleasure and a, a tremendous learning experience. Um, the students at the university are, are just so phenomenal and I, I treat them with such tremendous respect because they, they work so incredibly hard to get here. And, you know, they're, they're often working too hard, I think, <laughs> while on campus that I try to get them to, to rein it in a little bit. But um, they're really smart. They have really great things to say. They come from very different backgrounds and experiences that I did. And rather than try to you know, indoctrinate them in one particular view or another, I, I very intentionally tried to design my courses in ways that provide conflicting perspectives and tries to encourage the open and honest and respectful dialogue across different perspectives so that if if you know if you if you're on one side of the debate or I require my students to to do writing exercises that puts them in the place of someone who disagrees with them and then basically assigns them the task of making an argument based on the perspective of, of the opposing view. Because I, I think that with the changing terrain of higher education and the state of the world right now, I think it's more important than ever to prepare students to know how to meaningfully engage with people who think differently than them. And the classroom, the university classroom is really like the last setting that students get the opportunity to practice it in a somewhat lower stakes environment. Uh, I know the students are always concerned about grades, but, you know, they'll do fine for the most part. But, you know, they, it's, it's, it's a last opportunity, a last setting to like, to really practice that. Because once you're out, once you're out in the real world, that's where the consequences are real and, and, and immediate when engaging in this sort of thing. And so uh, my approach to teaching tries to center that. And as a result of it, I find my own views on things getting broadened, expanded, or challenged by the students in my classroom. And it, that in turn actually makes my research better and it makes me better at thinking on my feet. Is there anything that you are aspiring to do in your career? Any types of research or, or other things that might be on the horizon? What is something that feels like a an aspiration or something that is driving you in your current work? 
So there's several, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about one, which is that there's a branch of work that I do that tries to demystify a lot of the politics of fear surrounding crime and policing in cities. There's a lot of really over-sensationalized and over-hyped explanations, and just I should also just say flat-out wrong, uh, explanations of things that are going on in cities that are said and argued in ways that often prevent any kind of meaningful engagement or, or even just a discussion of weighing the various alternatives towards addressing a problem. And so if there's one aspiration that I have is that I can be part of, of a team effort with other academics, other organizers, elected officials, and, and activists to kind of bring the temperature down a little bit and say, okay, can we have a conversation about something without calling one another a four-letter word? And can we bring the right people to the table who are genuine about their views, who don't have some sort of ulterior motive, who genuinely want to make the city a, a better place and, and proceed from there. And I think that you know, some of the some of the changes happening in Chicago recently in Chicago, I think, are, are a reflection of that. And so I'm, lately I've found myself in a in a more positive mood as a result of, of what's been happening, because it's, uh, you know, polls indicating that more and more Chicagoans are are open to uh, diverse or innovative approaches to improving public safety. Uh, you wouldn't have guessed that based on how the mayoral election, the discourse around the mayoral election played out. And so I find all of those things encouraging and I kind of aspire to keep that going and hopefully expand that kind of um, healthy and productive democratic deliberation into other places. What advice would you have for a young person who is interested in pursuing a, an academic path in sociology? What advice would you have for a young person who is considering a similar career path as yours? I'll keep it as simple as possible. I think that the best thing to do is to ask yourself, is there something you want to say? Like, is there a debate you want to start or be part of? Because if the answer is no, you're not sure, I would say probably pursuing a PhD in sociology is not the best thing because it's going to be hard no matter what. And the time that you're in, in that you're in, in graduate school is like, you know, most folks are in their 20s. It's like the prime of your life. And so it helps to know that you have something that you're really compelled to study that's just like really energizing you, that you feel like you have the energy to overcome a lot of resistance and put in the work to contribute something important and powerful to a debate that has real life implications. And if the answer to that is no for people, that's fine. Like there's so many other ways to live an impactful, happy life. But so much of what we do as sociologists is in community with others. Uh, it's in community with other academics working in a particular field. It's with uh, the communities and the cities we live in or in the towns or the suburbs or, or wherever. And so it helps to know whether... There are certain ideas or topics that you want to contribute to in community with others. What is the most gratifying thing about the work that you do? What, what feels most fulfilling or most fun? To me, it's those moments of discovery. Like, I'll give an example. Recently, I was writing, I've been writing a paper that 
is systematically evaluating uh, the social science research on policing. And I've been with any paper, you know, you're, you're struggling to find the right theoretical framework for making sense of the findings of the data that you've put together. And I just recently read this book by a philosopher at Yale, uh, Jason Stanley, who uh, published this book, How Propaganda Works. And just that moment of dis- of seeing everything click, like discovering a new definition of propaganda that seemed to map on and very, very strongly align and characterize a, a segment of the of the studies that I was I was coding. Just that process of discovering something and seeing it all click to me is the most gratifying because after just putting all that stuff together and 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 re revising the outline, I, I can just tell that it, it this is the hook, this is the click, this is the this is w- what I needed. To me, those those tiny moments, but you know, impactful moments where you've you know you've discovered something and you know that this is going to be something impactful once this is packaged and put out and, and ultimately published. To me, that those are the most gratifying moments as a as a researcher. Professor Vargas, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you again, Professor Vargas, for your time today. And course takers, if you enjoyed listening to today's interview, please check out the other ones. Leave us a comment, subscribe, follow, and share this episode with your friends and family. You can find out more about the University of Chicago through uchicago.edu or the university's campus in Hong Kong through uchicago.hk. Stay tuned for more. See you around.